Rio climbed in his trademark warrior way. No hesitation, no hints of nervousness. Fluid movement from brick to brick, which protruded from the side of the church, generously, into equal increments. In this manner, he quickly entered a zone, 30 feet off the ground, where a fall would be disastrous. Though he had four of us spotting him, we could do little to protect him from the six-step concrete stairway that lay directly in his fall path. This is the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from The Climbing Zine. I am Luke Mehal. Welcome to episode 23. This is Buildering. I think my writing in general is uh, full of cautiousness to the mistakes that I've made. This episode deserves a disclaimer just based on what I've seen. I've seen many great climbers get hurt drunk in Buildering. <laughs> Ask around. Um, they're usually younger guys in their 20s, maybe early 30s, um, but often involves alcohol. I don't build her anymore. I think it's super cool. I think Tom and Pete in, um, I don't want to botch where it is, maybe it was Scotland, um, somewhere near the UK, they found some cool buildering cracks under a bridge, which sounds amazing. As I always say, if you want to support this podcast, the best way to do it is to Subscribe to The Climbing Zine, pick up a book, pick up a zine, pick up some merch. Make sure if we're on Spotify, you're following us. That stuff matters. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a star rating and a review. Let's get into episode 23. This is Buildering. In the deep of the twilight, the night buzzed on something, spirit, smoke, the usual, a change occurs. An athletic alchemy, different urges, some of the chances and opportunities of the night have passed. With no possibility of getting laid, you stayed up too late to really get good sleep, some sense to experience more, and not just sit around and talk about things. Besides, the bartender is telling you to leave, stumbling out into the streets, some think, one more cigarette or a bong session, perhaps a movie, maybe the 12-pack of PBR in the fridge at home. Others think about climbing buildings. Enter the mind and body of a climber in an urban concrete jungle we call a city. Enter their heart, thumping and pumping blood, looking through their eyes, through the buildings, with a desire that no one but a climber could feel. An inclination to enter a different dimension, the vertical realm, one with substantial risk, the usual risks of climbing, the consequences from falling, abuse to joints, bones, and muscles, but also the legal risks, trespassing, the chance a cop might drive by and see you, though he would hardly think to look for someone on a building 20 feet up at three in the morning. When most everyone has entered the dream world of sleep or other lazy activities in the horizontal, the lucky ones are, well, getting lucky. But in a town of thousands, just two or three may decide to enter the vertical. They will choose to build her. For a few years now, I've managed to stay primarily on the outside of buildering sessions, while still remaining on the inside. While I've gotten off the ground a time or two, usually I just watch, especially when the building at hand enters the zone when a fall could mean death. Just being around the excitement is enough for me. In the last few years, for many nights after the bars close, I found myself within a cipher of builders trying to climb anything they please. I don't know if Sparks builders much these days, but he did, 
And during a winter night in a cold town called Gunnison, Colorado, he had one of those mystical, magical moments, which involves several elements, as you'll see. Sparks is one of those climbers that people must think of when they visualize a guy in his 20s who muscles his way through a rock climb. Ripped, like the guys posing on the packages of underwear. For some reason, his climbing performance really matched up with his strength. Climbing requires a mental discipline, a vertical meditation that Sparks often lacked. When his mind was on an off day, he could not perform on the rock. Though his body was strong enough, often his mind would not break through to the meditative state needed for difficult climbing. But he was strong, way strong, and once in a full moon, he would be on, and great things could happen. Well, it may have been a full moon. The coyotes must have been howling, because that night, amidst the psychedelics and the beer, we were climbing everything that looked like it could be climbed. The outside of a 10-foot stucco ATM station next to the bank, with an overhanging bulge near the top. A plastic horse that was a sign for a local cowboy shop, which was 12 feet off the ground, also covered in snow. There was even a route that was so difficult it hadn't seen a known repeat ascent in years on Main Street. A route climbing up the front side of the sketchiest bar in town. It was one of those nights when people were in town for the holidays. The snow was falling like it's supposed to in the mountains, maybe an inch an hour accumulating on the rooftops, streets, and sidewalks. The spirits were flowing. Christmas lights were lit, like we all were. Buzzed so much at that point in the party, no one could come up with a reason why we shouldn't go out. This was one of those nights. We're a group of climbers and a couple girls that like climber dudes who are long for the kicks. Climbers, especially the ones that are in their young 20s, are scruffy and rough around the edges. Many have unkept beards, pants and clothes with holes in them, a result of spending money first on gear and road tripping and second on clothing. No surprise, they also tend to be open-minded. Climbing rocks, mountains, and in this case, buildings, requires a free mind that can come up with creative solutions to challenges. In addition to this, climbers must create a sense of believing, a sort of willing the body through dangerous and improbable situations. This is a positive characteristic that many climbers share. It is no surprise that climbing works as creating metaphors for life. Give climbers a little booze, and this open-mindedness can get them into trouble. Like this night, where minds were altered by some additional things, and we were climbing all over town as if the structures in town were just rocks, eyeing a building that looked climbable and giving it a go, ignoring whether it was affiliated with a bank, a church, or the government. Add some success on a couple of routes, which provided some sweet adrenaline, and there was a cocktail of chemicals running through the veins. So, after Sparks had climbed the ATM machine, had a few drinks at the bar, and walked a mile across town in six inches of snow, he was ready for anything. That anything Sparks was ready for led us to the entrance of the sketchiest bar in town, the Alamo, a place known for coke usage in the bathroom and a constant haze of cigarette smoke hanging over the pool tables and the patrons. Outside was a large 30-foot vertical sign that read pizza, which probably confused some tourists each year to walk into the place and find no pizza just secondhand smoke, beer, and a handful of souls there to escape whatever it was that led him to the mo. Leading up to the infamous out-of-place pizza sign is a difficult bouldering route, which as we walk by, caught the attention of our group. The start of the building is what appears to be some average masonry, big stones a foot tall and two feet wide, cemented into the wall, protruding out a couple inches so they make perfect climbing holds. Not at all symmetrical, but hey, we're talking about a sketchy bar here. 
These perfect holes lead up to a wooden shingled roof, slightly angled, and at this night, covered in 10 inches of snow. Just a foot right of the route was the entrance to the bar. Now two or three of us had made it to this point before Sparks, and found the move too precarious and difficult to attempt. The move wasn't very dangerous, only eight feet off the ground, so a fall would be relatively safe, especially with five spotters below, with their hands up, ready to protect the climber from hurting himself. Sparks was on fire, and you could see it in his eyes and feel it in the energy that surrounded him. After an unsuccessful attempt, he was about to climb back onto the bar when a bouncer poked his head out, eyes glaze over from a night of complimentary ship drinks. He looked at it, Sparks, with one of those, what the hell are you doing, looks. Spark quickly acted like he was just checking out the well-done masonry and glanced back at us, rubbing the wall. Yeah, this is real nice, isn't it? The drunken bouncer went inside, confused. Sparks immediately got back on the wall and in 30 seconds reached the nearly horizontal roof. This move was the crux, the most difficult buildering sequence that had been attempted all night. In a sober state, it would be very hard, and Sparks' mind may not have been able to break through and concede the move. But fueled with the adrenaline cocktail, he didn't think, he just acted. Like a karate master, he swung his foot above his head to the right and planted it into the snow on the roof. As he dug his foot into the snow, a couple, arm in arm, stumbled out of the bar. Their expression quickly turned from intoxicated lust to amazement and terror as they looked up to see Sparks rocking his foot onto the snow-covered roof, pushing his hands down, and moving on to the roof. He'd conquered the Alamo. As the snow continued to fall and the couple walked away uttering drunken babble, Sparks climbed down the ladder on the backside of the bar to receive his prize, hugs and high fives from his crowd of admirers. Conditions in the winter were far from ideal for Buildering and Gunnison. Ice and snow made climbs more difficult and cold temperatures made it harder to grip holds with numb fingertips. But it made sense during the winter in a weird way. Climbers don't get that rush that they're dependent on as often, the rush that comes from getting scared and using the muscles of one's body to the utmost extent. I knew I was dependent on that fix as much as the guys in the Alamo were dependent on their numerous shots of Jack Daniels and the nicotine from Marlboro Reds. Hell, I'd been addicted to numerous things before I started climbing, and I knew I was hooked on the climbing buzz. That may have been some self-therapy there, because it doesn't really provide the transition I was looking for. But it brings us to the next part of the story, the summertime, where a climber in Gunnison could get that fix anytime he or she wanted to. Gunnison is surrounded by rocks. They don't call them the Rocky Mountains for nothing, in every direction, and someone was always psyched to go climbing. But there were still some of the usual reasons to build her, not getting any loving, and well, you were fired up from partying all night, and there was no reason to go home. This summertime buildering session occurred during the typical hours, just after the bar closed at 2.30 in the morning. The group consisted of yours truly, P. Real, B-Boy Roy, T. Drizzle, and Lucy. The stars shine bright. The moon lit up the town as much as the streetlights. The air was cool, as it often is in a mountain town at night. The streetlights lit up one side of an old church, which was the first climbing objective for the evening. I was pleased that the first building was something that had to do with religion and not the law, thinking that trespassing with the church would provide less harsh consequences than the government. From what I'd heard, nothing was off limits that summer. Banks, government buildings. Rumor had it one night these guys even climbed on the police station. So we arrived at the church 
a 40-foot-tall white brick building, which appeared to be from the early 1900s, that narrowed as it went higher, slender at the top, with a four-foot-tall cross on the tiny roof. The first attempted climb was too hard, and it was dark, as neither the moon nor the streetlights illuminated it. The moves were big reaches for small holds on the white bricks that a fingertip pad would barely fit on. No one got too far, and I was glad, because the climb would have finished 40 feet off the ground, and a fall from up there would involve some other people in uniforms we would rather not have contact with. Emergency medical technicians. So we moved around the church, following P. Real, who was the reason behind the partying that evening, considering it was his birthday. P. Real found a route that was to his liking, with bigger bricks to hold on to, a path of least resistance to the top of the church. Examining the psyche of P. Rio would reveal that he had his mind mastered to a higher level than our friend Sparks. Unlike Sparks, P. Rio had a mind that was just as tuned for climbing as his body. Watching P. Rio climb was like watching a master of the rock. Not necessarily all the time, for this was just his 23rd birthday. But he'd shown that he had what it took to be a successful climber. He's also a southern boy, which in Gunnison made him stand apart from nearly every other climber. P. Real was a remarkable and unique character that everyone in the climbing community knew or knew of. So all four of us listened when in his distinct southern draw, he looked up at the arete on the side of the church and uttered slowly in a rather monotone way, I'm going to climb this fucker. So off he went up the church, which conveniently was facing both the moon and the streetlights. P. Real climbed in his trademark warrior way, no hesitation, no hint of nervousness, fluid movement from brick to brick. In this manner, he quickly entered a zone, 30 feet off the ground where a fall would be disastrous. Though he had four of us spotting him, we could do little to protect him from a six-step concrete stairway that lay directly in his fall path. A metal railing eight feet long to the left of the stairs ensured that if P. Real fell, things would be bad, real bad. The stairway and railing was an emergency exit for the church patrons, but for P. Real, if he were to fall down on this, it would spell disaster and possibly a chance to meet his maker. All of us spotters, T. Drizzle, Lucy, B-Boy Roy, and yours truly gave each other a look. A look that we didn't need to put into words that P. Real could hear. That look that had the intensity of a normal, serious climbing situation. But this was different. It was three in the morning, and this southern dude, 30 feet above us in the side of a church, had been drinking whiskey all night. You got this, P. Real, Roy said, defying what he may have been thinking, but sending up necessary encouragement. Yeah, man, looking good, T. Drizzle added. P. Real climbed five feet higher and was near the lip of the roof of the church, just below the cross, into the unknown. He had no idea what it would be like, and since none of us had climbed it, we couldn't offer any beta. As he reached up to the top of the church, a small chunk of brick falls down to the ground, hitting the rail and making a clink. Unfazed and buzzed on adrenaline, P. Real kept searching for a handhold. The sound of his breathing just slightly increased. A minute later, he was still in the same spot. His left hand is feeling to the top of the church for a hold. Another small chunk of brick quarter-sized, fell down, this time landing on the grass. This prompted Lucy to speak her first words since P. Real left the ground with the tone of a mother that has warned her disobeying children one time too many. P. Real, you get down from there right now. 
A cold silence followed her words, and immediately, P. Real started his retreat, gently climbing down the bricks, 40 feet back to the ground, back to the horizontal. Lucy gave him a motherly look. We all offered a handshake, and with that, P. Real had survived another birthday, another buildering session had ended. T. Drizzle, B-Boy Roy, and P. Real made it through the summer without suffering any injuries. However, the more I talked about buildering with friends, the more I heard stories where people got hurt doing it. Ironically, these were people that were the top-notch climbers who had spent countless days taking big risks on big walls and boulders, and these were their most severe injuries from buildering. But just as STDs don't stop random drunken hookups, people will still continue to build her. There is a fire lit in the spirit of youth and energy that some express by doing graffiti on billboards and trains, which some call art and others vandalism. Others may skateboard, putting their energy into that sport onto the concrete, grinding a rail in a park. Some see skateboarding as trouble. Others use it to keep out of trouble. Buildering is very risky, but it also is an expression, a manifestation of energies in the twilight, buzzed, not ready for the night to end, determined to live more, to transform, to build it. That was episode 23 of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the Climbing Zine. I am Luke Mihal. Hope you guys enjoyed that little story. That one was originally published in my first book, Climbing Out of Bed, which was published in 2012. It's a collection of short stories. You can check the show notes. We've got a discount code to pick up some items in our store and if you click on that code, it will automatically give you, I think it's a 25% off discount. Music from this episode was brought to you by Ketza. Chad Rich is our digital editor and producer. And from Durango, Colorado, I am Luke Mihal. Hope you guys enjoyed that. 